You know, one of the most exciting things about working with Gun.io is I get to work with some of the most important consumer brands and fitness brands and enterprise brands. And what you find is that they're all looking for the very best talent and they're competing for it. And one thing I tell clients all the time is that, hey, you know, if you can develop um, the mindset to, to hire remote freelance engineers, what you're going to find is that it opens up the pool of available talent because you're not going to have to fight over the same group of FTEs from all the other companies in your space. And so now what we can do is bring you a cohort of people that other companies aren't competing with you against. And it's really a competitive advantage to take stock of that and find some excellent people you can bring on board. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Craig, it's good to have you on. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. So maybe you can just give a little uh, background story of, of yourself and your work and your company so the uh, audience can get to know you a little bit. Sure. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Kin. We're a people operation system, so kinhr.com. Uh, we help build happier, healthier workplaces. The way we do that is with a SaaS product called Kin that helps small businesses improve their new hire onboarding experience with digitizing paperwork, task management. Once new hires are onboarded, we focus on engagement and retention. So basically creating a digital workplace. So making sure employees are taking their time off, making sure that all those policies are uploaded into Kin so that employees can know who their workplace is, take advantage of everything that they have to offer. We help with feedback as well. So feedback and job alignment. So getting your objectives into Kin, doing regular check-ins with your managers, your, your peers, and so, so on and so forth. I'm based in Chicago. We're an entirely remote company. We haven't always been. We launched initially in 2013 as a startup within a startup. So I have another company called We Are Mammoth, um, which has been around since 2006. Call ourselves a venture studio. Uh, I would say we're a slow rolling venture studio, uh, which is to say everything that we do is self-funded. So I think kind of like Gun.io, we own everything. So everything is bootstrapped. Everything is self-financed. Uh, and we're just getting to the end of a redesign of Kin itself. So it's going on for the better part of the year. We initially thought we were going to be releasing this thing in January. And here we are coming up on April. We're getting close. I'm excited. The whole team is excited. Um, so, yeah, it's that last mile. Yeah, that's what you and I were kind of riffing about off mic before we jumped in here. And I've seen this. I mean, we've gone through hundreds, if not thousands of, of projects. And no matter what, it's sort of like you're 80% done forever. You know, and, and I, I always wonder like how that happens. And um, is it, you know, a founder perfectionist thing? Or is it, you know, it's just underestimation of how much is left or what about this or what about that? And I mean, where does that come from? Because there isn't a reason that the last bit of work should cost and feel like 
10 times as much as the first 80%. But I mean, that's just always the case. Like, have you analyzed this or are you just like stuck in the mud right now? I'm always analyzing it. And I think what you said is spot on that it should never be done. But at some point you have to say it's good enough mm -hmm. and you need to release. The thing that I've enjoyed about the last couple of months, even though we're technically behind the schedule that we've promised to our customers is that we have a consensus amongst the team that certain aspects of this new product are not good enough. So we're going back to improve them. And there are things, I'd say tasks, initiatives within the product that we could not have forecasted or envisioned being not up to par with what we want to give to our paying customers say back in September, October of last year. So we're doing things right. And you can't just add 20 or 30 more people to this type of project. You know, you need the time uh, and everybody feels right about it. So for me, that's that's been a sort of a, a validator for me. It's not just the founder saying, it's not good enough, go back and finish it. You know, it's more like everybody coming to the table saying like, these are things that we need to improve um, while we're in there. Let's let's do it right and make sure that it's not just, you know, mm -hmm. on par with what the old product is, but it's 10 times better. Uh, yeah, and that's, so that's what like, we're taking time to do. Yeah. Yeah. New features and better features and also probably some technical debt remediation that comes up. Anytime oh, man. You touch things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the technical debt part is probably where for us, most of the time is coming from. So we're we're on tethering from backbone for our web mm -hmm. app and moving over to view. Um, and with that, where the team has created a kind of like a visual UI language uh, from the ground up so that it's mm -hmm. easier, hopefully moving forward to get this product release velocity moving. The backbone architecture that we were kind of, I'd say intertwined with or dependent mm -hmm. on was really slowing us down. Right now, the velocity that we're seeing just internally with our, our test releases and product releases internally has been a lot faster. So I'm looking forward to that that part of it, too, that we have a new language to describe the UI, to describe mm -hmm. the product. And it's close, more closely bound to the actual code base, too. So that feels pretty good. So I imagine you're, you're some kind of agile type of arrangement. Um, how did you decide that you had to do, you know, a whole, I guess it's a rebuild, right? Because you're in some ways, because you would think that you could, you know, if you went to a rapid release cycle, for example, you could do, you know, every month or every two weeks, even you're going to push new stuff and slowly replace the old one. Now, I know that's, that's a very textbook and it belongs in a blog post. So I'm curious why, why in your case, you know, could it not be that way? And I asked the question because I happen to know that in, in many cases it isn't that way, but we often think that, that we can do that. I, my initial instinct is to say, I'm hoping and betting that things will be that way once May rolls around. Mm. And I agree wholeheartedly that things should be that way to get a product and a team, I'd say more importantly, a team to the point where everybody is so aligned like that has been where most of our effort has lied in mm -hmm. the past 
year. So it wasn't as easy for us to do that. Initially, frankly, this started out as a redesign to say, let's brush up some things because it's been a, it's a six-year-old tool. Mm-hmm. And we because we did a pretty good job initially, we didn't really have to overhaul so much, right? Um, but we went through a marketing, kind of a rebranding thing last year, and we wanted the product to visually align more closely with what we were doing on the you know, on the front end of things. Um, and as soon as we got into it, that, that backbone thing sort of was like, Hey, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't do that so quickly. (laughs) And so so Anthony and Grant were the the lead developers. They took a look at things and decided like, you know, we got to go in a little bit deeper. We got to get away from backbone and move toward a more, more modern, flexible framework. And so they went through that that audit and there's plenty of frameworks out there and view is where, where they land. In fact, they're down in Florida right now at ViewConf um, jamming out. Um, so at, anyways, I think for us, we couldn't be the team that we wanted to be, which is probably the worst answer to that. No, question. it's actually, it's the, it's the, <laughs> it's a truthful answer, you know, that I think people take this for granted that, um, that there isn't a organizational engineering that, that goes behind. And it's, it's 80%, you know, people engineering that, you know, how do we build a thing, a group of people that moves, you know, in this truly agile fashion, I think that gets missed, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. And I appreciate the transparency, you know, and honesty of it. Cause I think that gets missed in some of the, the happy stories of, we just need to increase you know, release velocity and, and cadence. And if we just follow this, but you know, the reality is that there's usually like one or two heroes dragging everybody else along who maybe hasn't been steeped in the literature or hasn't had that experience. And it's, it's a totally different way of thinking. You know, we have all been trained that, you know, you, you sort of build and deploy and maintain, and you do that in virtually every place in your life. What this new, architecture and and cloud first and you know sort of all these things is really about build deploy and be willing to destroy and and throw things around and um i think people don't realize that you know you don't have that same disposition in other places like software actually turns out to be different because it's not a building or it's not a you know durable thing um creating for destroying and rebuilding quickly is a totally different disposition that just doesn't apply in regular life. And there's also different expectations for the timeframes too. So like being on a, a weekly or bi, bi-monthly release schedule is something again, that I think we will get to soon, but that's not where our business is at right now. So it's mm-hmm. almost like we're rebuilding the business and that time frame is just bigger. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I told the team a couple of weeks ago, and I think I've said it a few times prior to that, that I'm glad everybody's not satisfied with where the work was, where the product was, where what was supposed to be 10 times better mm-hmm. was. And I'm glad that nobody argued with me saying, no, no, man, we don't want to go back. And like right now, there's a files, there's a files product instead of kin. Right. So, you upload files, you can sign them digitally, create mm-hmm. forms, or they're PDFs. And then it's sort of like Google Drive, you store them and all that. We got done with it. And 
everyone took a look at it and went, huh, well, that's not good enough. And nobody argued. So we went back to the drawing board and now we're, you know, getting through design. We're iterating in, in vision. There's a bunch of other forms of iteration before stuff gets into code mm. that we are realizing. So it's, to some degree, like a team like ours is iterating just internally, right? Yeah. And tools like Envision are really great for that. Which didn't exist three years ago. No, I mean, no, you man. know, six months ago, it wasn't as good as now. So, you know, we're all on this um, innovation slope that is so steep that, you know, committing to anything, you know, in, in two years, you're going to be going, gosh, I wish we didn't use Vue because there's this new, <laughs> you know, Craig JS and it's amazing, you know, and, and oh. I mean, that's just going to be I hope true. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, we have, we have major customers that were like Ember was the greatest thing. And now, ah, hell, you know, we need to go to react or, you know, whatever. And, and I don't think that it's, it's ever going to change. And if anything, it's going to be like, you know, every one year, every six months. And so how do you build in the most, granular way that you can replace tiny pieces without breaking everything. And oh, there you go to microservices, which introduces all kinds of problems for how do you make all that work together? And I mean, this is a, it's a very, very complex set of, of abstractions, not all of which are technology. And I completely resonate with, you know, the, the hidden challenges of that, you know, the, the iceberg is not very far out of the water. <laughs> the thing that feels really good right now is, that everybody is looking at the product from a customer mm -hmm. perspective, which sounds kind of, it sounds contrived to say, but everything else, every other decision like that tech stack mm -hmm. or the really, what we're doing, why we're doing it is through that lens. And so it makes me, it makes me less concerned about Ken's future tech mm -hmm. stack, right? Like you said, maybe, you know, whatever JavaScript's going to get deprecated entirely, and then it's going to be a whole, you know, God help us. But <laughs> like, I'm less concerned about that because of the cohesion of our product team right now. Yeah. Right. Where no matter what those decisions are going to be made on behalf of the, the customer, right? Like they're like, whatever's going to be delivering that value to them, that's the decision that's going to get made, which Sounds sure. kind of reverse, but we don't have anybody like really, uh, whatever. So so far removed from the customer's yeah. perspective of our product, and they're only worried about JavaScript libraries or something like that. It strikes me that you have a very unique opportunity to kind of dog food what you do for your clients. Your product is based around a, a very cohesive set of, you know, sort of new work or, you know, better balance and, you know, all the things that you ought to do right. And it sounds like you're kind of manifesting that through engineering that you get to dog food, that process that is then represented through the the product, like the, the dog starts to look like its owner, you know, is, is that intentional? That's, that's the story of kin actually was because we were hiring a lot of remote engineers back in like 2011, 2012. And we created kind of like a, like an intranet, right. Mm -hmm. To borrow a, a term from the past, uh, a homepage for every new hire that give them a, 
sense of who we are, where we are, <laughs> because we had an office at the time, uh, introduce people to the new hires to our team, mm. you know, give them sort of like a primer on, on the, you know, places to go eat lunch and stuff like that. That became a kind of like a calling card for, for what became Ken, uh, a new hire onboarding experience. Like our, our original charge was to make sure that a new hire comes in on the first day ready to work. And what does it take to do that? All the computer stuff, the paperwork, all that can be done remotely, even if you have an office, right? So that's what Kin has become. The other things that we're dog fooding right now that are not baked into the product, but the things that we're experiencing that we're kind of in a discovery phase about would be engagement, right? Engagement is different than feedback. When we talk about employee engagement, uh, which gets pretty far away from technology, admittedly, but how are we interfacing with folks who are around the country uh, when it's not purely performance-based feedback that they need? If we know that we're doing a decent job with performance feedback, what are the other ways that we're learning about the, how they're experiencing our workplace? Mm-hmm. So tools like Office Vibe, for example, um, start to scratch that itch a little bit. Now, when you when you join that together with uh, demographic data that we have inside of Kin, when you join that with patterns in time off utilization, how often are your employees getting out of the office? How are they spending that time? Is, are they recharging? And you can mix and match that with employee engagement data. That starts to get pretty interesting. Um, the other thing that's interesting right now is remote workplace compliance, right? So when we have employees all around, we just got through corporate tax <laughs> season, right? All the places that we have to send paperwork mm-hmm. throughout the year, you know, for workers comp, for just tax returns, every state, every county, every city is a little bit different. So that's another opportunity to improve. That is not so much employee experience as it is employer experience, but that's something that we're finding out about right now that there is not a tool out there right now that's automating or even helping with compliance for remote workplaces. Remote workplaces, like the companies are doing that work. We just, you're sitting at home right now and so am I, right? So how are we, how are we helping those companies make sure that they're in compliance with all of those local and state laws? You know, like if we have 14 employees, imagine having 70, 80, 100 employees Mm -hmm. in every different state, some in Canada, some in France, right? So um, there's a big opportunity there too. Absolutely. You evolved from on-site to remote um, and then, or rather co-located to remote probably is a better way to put it. And what I hear from a lot of of tech leaders and business leaders is that um, neither full co-location nor full remote is as challenging as hybrid. And I wonder if that was your experience that, you know, as you made that migration or did you kind of like rip the bandaid off and be like, Hey y'all, the the office is going to be locked tomorrow. You know, let's figure this out. Hmm. We originally hired people remotely and, our objective or I guess employee experience mission for them was to make sure that their experience working with our workplace was 
have the same fidelity as if they were in the office. So we did things the right way to begin with, making sure that you know the computers were set up, that we had remote access to help get devs set up. And it was like we're, we've used .NET and Windows and we're on Macs. And there's a lot of work that has to happen to kind of make that make that work seamlessly. Uh, VPN had to be quick, right? So the paperwork bit that I mentioned before. So we always did it right. So the one thing that, I mean, there are things that we have not always done great, but that employee onboarding thing has always been done well, regardless of whether you're in the office or or remotely. So even when we only had two or three people who were working remote, they always felt dialed in to our culture and I guess sort of plugged into to the vibe. Um, and that, you know, right now it's, we're a hundred percent remote. So we're kind of all used to that at this point. And like I mentioned before, when we were chatting, remote does not mean flex work. So even though we're in all these states, people sign on at the same time every day and they sign off at the same time every day because they want to be together. Even though we have digital versions of a physical workplace, people get the sense that there is a community here and they they dial into that. And broadband has made that easier, certainly. The fact that we no longer have to host VPNs and stuff like that internally at our office has made that easier. Amazon, back when we started doing this, Amazon, like Oz would be out. You know, it just like go out and then the internet would be off. (laughs) You know, that's that's no longer a, a problem. So all the tech backbone is in place to do this the right way right now. All you need is a will and then you need an understanding. You need to know that as an employer, all the things that make a physical workplace successful, you need a virtual or digital counterpart to that. So last question, you know, like everybody's thinking about this now. You got to be thinking about this. I don't know. Top three things that are the most important there. You know, maybe you're trying to solve it with the product. You know, maybe it's just encapsulated in the culture. But I I think I'll be bold enough to say, you know, everybody wants what you're describing. So what are those top things that you think about maintaining such that everybody wants to show up in that virtual environment? We started 2018 doing something that we pieced together called employee canvases. We do assessments when people join our team. They're like disk assessments, right? And uh, thinking wavelengths and anybody can do these things. Uh, And we try to join those with almost like a peer review of who a person is. And then we try to get at what a person's strengths and what their shortcomings are when they're dialed in as a team member. Um, shortcomings being sometimes your personality doesn't shine through on Slack, for example, right? Like Slack is something that all, I'm pretty sure all remote companies are using right now. Some people aren't great at it. Other people are. So acknowledging those things, getting, learning who people are and helping them along that route as opposed to always thinking about what's going to be best, what the deadlines are, what what their, our business objectives are, coming at our business objectives and those OKRs 
through the context of the person is something that's helped our company become who it is today. And I'll say that, I say that with pride, but I also say that because we haven't always been that company. Um, so for the team that comes to work every day, it's a mix of autonomy, knowing that our, our business objectives are clear enough for them. They know how their work ladders up to our mission as a company. Knowing that we encourage them to take all their time off to get away from work. Work is not everything, you know. Giving them that sense of trust is important. Um, and exposing them to problems that our clients have, our customers have, that we have internally. Making sure that we're transparent and letting them know that we want them to help solve these problems. Because I'm not the type of person that's, I'm not a micromanager. Like, I, I need my space as well. So I'm, I'm just, well, I'm another person working. I need my time away. I've got a family. You know, work needs to kind of fit into the lives that we're trying to live. I think our, my job as an employer is to help people acknowledge that, make sure that their work life can be as fulfilling as possible, and then say, listen, work is not the primary goal here all the time. Like if, if your fulfillment in life as a person is a pie, work can only fill up that pie dish about 50% maybe, right? So the other part of work, remote work is that if you're not happy in Chicago, move to Nashville. If Nashville is not your bag, move to Portland. You can take your work to go, right? We're remote. Just be online at 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Craig, I love it. Thank you for sharing the story and uh, good luck with the the never-ending launch. Uh, you, you will get there. So keep up the fight. We'll, we'll get there. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.